Hello and welcome to Bottled Up on a mission to create conversations and make the mental health of men a top priority. You're joined by myself, Sunny, and Mayank, close friends from university who want to share the stories of everyday people on our platform. The reason? Because we are not alone. Before we kick this conversation off, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your conversations. It makes a huge difference to our reach with these awesome guests and potentially life-saving conversations. And if you haven't just yet, it takes 20 to 30 seconds to leave us a review and would help us out massively. Thank you again and buckle up for another great conversation. Oh boy, oh boy, we're on today, mate. We are on Tiger today. Land. <laughs> <laughs> yellow and black. <laughs> yellow and black. No, no, no. I, I can't be saying yellow and black, mate. It's, it's uh, red and black for me. I'm always an Essendon supporter. But no, nah, I'll, I'll make an exception this time, mate. Yeah. Mate, welcome, welcome to Tiger Land on this one, um, <laughs> ladies and gents. Mate, we uh, we just spoke with Trent Cotchen. We obviously, we see him plenty of times on the TV. Um, oh, I've dude. seen this guy um, growing up playing football but you know actually seeing him in the flesh and having a heart-to-heart conversation is you don't get that often no so. 100 100 dude like it was no nah, we see him all, so many times on television we see him all oiled up <laughs> sleeveless like you know biceps pulsating when he's like tackling someone like this time it's like you know we actually go on in, in a normal t-shirt this time in a very human yep. way genuine way and I, yeah i really enjoyed it dude like oh just literally yeah gobsmacked like he's a he's, he was captain at richmond for the richmond tigers at 22 longest serving captain of the club you know, he, he had a child when he was 24, so he's he's, he's already achieved, he achieved a lot when he was 24 than we have, Sonny, so <laughs> I must say, <laughs> his life was a bit busier than, busier than ours uh, at the time, but he, you can tell you can tell so much that he's, like, he's definitely worked on himself, and you can see and that comes across in the way that he speaks, so hopefully our listeners will get a bit of insight into that, but um, Sonny, how did you find that, mate? Mate, it was awesome. Um, I'm going to keep it short, because I want you listeners to um, get into it and, and listen to his story from, from the man himself, but... I think the, the, the part that stood out for me was, you know, when he got in front of the Tigers um, pre-season, day one, 2017, um, and shared authentically and vulnerably. Um, he talks about that in the podcast as well and sort of how that invited more trust and discussion with other boys. And yeah, we, we saw what happened in 2017. Yeah, And the years that followed. So um, it's an awesome listen. And I just want to take this space to give a special shout out to the Burston family and the Critchley family who were instrumental in, in helping us craft some of the questions that we asked. So credit where credit is due and hope you guys enjoy this listen it's um yeah it's awesome up the tags up the tags and over to you trent <laughs> so let's uh obviously this opportunity has come about from you know bumping into you in a in a richmond cafe which i'm incredibly fortunate about so i'm really happy i went out for that coffee at that time um i should probably instead of working from home might start working from the cafe and start loading around more richmond cafes if it gets me more luck um but speaking speaking of bumping into people um often you know we start off these episodes with a pretty light-hearted but um hopefully reflective question to kick things off and it's a good test of you know whether you've done your homework and listened to some of our past episodes as well <laughs> um but the the question we usually have uh for all our guests is you know trent mate like uh which which parallel universe version of yourself would you want to bump into or, or meet and and why you know it could be that kochi that you know didn't get into the afl could be that kochi with another personality trait 
picked up or, or learned a lesson earlier on in life. But, you know, if, if you were to meet a, another Kochi from a different universe, um, you know, who would it be and, and, and why would you want to meet him? Yeah, it's, it's, it is an interesting question. It's a good way <laughs> it's to deep, start. It's deep. Um, I think for me, like the what what I would want to take away from me <laughs> <laughs> and te- teaching um, myself or through the lessons that I've learned, and it's taken me a long time to learn them, is, and I think the other way that I've been asked this question is, you know, what would you tell your 18-year-old self if you were to meet them right now? And um for me, it's it's stripping back the perfection. If that's been probably the thing that you know, in in, in a lot of ways, it it guided me for a long long uh, a big part of growing up and, and coming through the AFL system, and um, you know, helped me strive for always trying to do better. But it also probably um, held me back in some ways with regards to putting additional pressure and expectations on myself that were unhealthy. And I think you know, we we look at the community today and we're forever comparing ourselves to others rather than actually comparing ourselves within. Um, So I think if I could teach myself that at a very young age, and it's probably something that's typically hard to learn uh, at that age, but if I was 18 again and I was given that tool, um, I think it would go a long way to living maybe not a happier life, but definitely a healthier Mm. life. Hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it, sometimes? Absolutely. Did I answer your question? Was that okay? Ten out of ten, right? <laughs> I know perfectionism is a is a huge thing for me as well. Like trying to know all the answers early on and try and make the best possible decision with all the answers that you have. But I think that's probably the beautiful thing about life is that we don't even know what tomorrow might look like. Um, and I think we've got to take yeah. that in our stride and hopefully use it as a force for good. Um, look, um, yeah. probably just building on that, and I think you touched on a pretty awesome awesome point there around. Um, kind of knowing all the answers and and living in the present and and sort of knowing everything that you can but you know you've got an awesome family a beautiful family Brooke and and the three kids you've won a few flags um I can make that plural (laughs) Uh, and and a few accolades in your time but one thing like Mank and I uh with Bottled Up one of the things that we've learned is the value um I guess how we value time and our relationship with time and this idea of kind of traversing between you know being overly nostalgic but also living in the moment um, you know, for you, how have you sort of been able to balance the two, you know, continue to look back at sort of those awesome memories that you've had in the past um, and be grateful for where yep. you are, but also have that sense of optimism for, you know, there's so much up ahead as well. Um, and it's probably it's probably a bigger question around, you know, what are the things that continue to make you nostalgic, but, you know, continue to sort of, you know, you put in your stride um, day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, for me, it sort of comes down to two or three things. And Again, reflecting on not being perfect, I I would like to think that I value family as my number one and key priority. And there's times where that's challenged with regards to whether it's footy commitments or wanting to take another step forward in business or life um, in other ways. And, you know, these bloody things, uh, mobile phones are the greatest challenge from a distraction point of view for anyone and everyone that exists on planet Earth. Um, particularly with kids, you know, it's, it's so easy to pick your phone up um, and check Instagram or it vibrates or you get a text message and instantly you go from, you know, kicking the footy with the kids um, to then being distracted in engaged in something that really isn't a priority in that moment and in that time. And whilst I'm not perfect at staying attuned to that, it's something that I always try to come back to. And, you know, they're designed to continue to pull you away from what is actually 
your main purpose and priority at that time. So um, trying to be disciplined with regard to that and putting things in place that allow you to be less inclined to do so um, has been something that I've tried to focus on and continue to work on. Um, for me, the other part of it is, uh, and you touched on it, it's like your greatest growth often does come from your darkest times or, or your most challenging times. And, you know, that's that's the glass half full, the opti eternal optimist that I think resides in me pretty well, um, you know, and, and whether that be in my football journey or life um, or just in your relationships, like life, life is bloody hard. But once you accept that it's hard, it actually becomes really beautiful. And that's the, that's the shift that we all need to find with a bit of perspective and so forth. So um, that's sort of my attitude towards the challenging times in life. And yeah, don't get me wrong, it's, it's hard and you do get bogged down with it sometimes. And that's why you need a, a really important network around you that can help guide you, uh, particularly when you're really at the lowest moments, because you're probably most inclined to do the behaviours that you know are unhelpful when you're at your worst. So you know, I, I rely heavily on Brooke holding me to account uh, in, in many ways and shapes and forms. And it might even be the way that I'm speaking to the kids just because something wasn't quite right, whether it be the result on game day or, um, you know, uh, something that's happened at the club during the day as part of training um, has just impacted the way that I'm showing up in the world. And, um, you know, you need those friendly reminders to, to snap out of it, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that answers your question answers the question yeah 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 and just um that was really well said trent and um i, I think sort of leading from that question of nostalgia and and i and the idea of living in the present i think it's a good opportunity for us to maybe potentially shift gears a little bit into your career as a captain of the richmond football club and this idea of of history and prestige and, and paying homage to the players who who made the club what it was um and i think in any kind of sporting organization or or in any business that, that obviously that's that's super important i mean we saw it um, a couple of weeks back on Friday night when Essendon celebrated their own 150th anniversary as a club um, in the AFL-VFL. And um, just as a side note, I'm a massive Essendon supporter. Up the Tigers. Uh, yeah, yeah, up the Tigers, man, up the Tigers. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Richmond supporter just for today. I'm happy to change for just for today, just for this conversation. Um, and I think one of the things that struck me within that entire celebration was this idea of, of um, paying respect to those um, who made the club what it was. And, and from a Richmond perspective... You know, we've spoken to a number of Richmond supporters, uh, Trent, and one of the things that we've understood is uh, the number 17 Guernsey is one that's steeped in a lot of tradition as, as it's traditionally worn by by the captain. Um, you've got you know, the likes of Chris Newman, Jack Dyer, all these like famous captains who have, who have worn the same jumper. And prior to your appointment as captain, um, you decided to keep your rookie Guernsey number as number nine. Um, so you decided to keep that number. Um, we'd love to get some insights into that thought process because I remember reading about this back in the day. And and how you found a balance between one, paying respect um, or not showing disrespect to the history of the club versus also stamping your own brand as captain and, and, and being your own man um, as captain of the football club. Yeah, I think that was effectively, you know, the crux of it really. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I would like to think that I'm very respectful to the past. And, you know, I think to a point early in my career, we're almost... Um, paralyzed by the past success of our footy club you know every function that we had was celebrating you know the greats of our club who played in the 70s 80s um and you know it's a long time between drinks so you know they would welcome 
the likes of a Francis Burke or a Kevin Bartlett on stage talk about the good old times at Tigerland and we would be sitting there as the current playing group and be like, well, yeah, it's relative, but it's not actually the here and now. And you're actually sort of squashing us down and making us feel even worse about the way we're performing at the moment. So um, I think part of that, you know, and, and I'll get to, I was number nine as part of my juniors I was lucky enough to be uh, given the number nine, which, you know, effectively became my number um, as part of my uh, position at, at Tigerland. And you know, that's who I am. And um, that was my number. And uh, as much as I had, you know, a tremendous amount of respect for my predecessors in captaincy and also the greats of our football club, like a Jack Dyer, um, there was a part of me that wanted to, you know, create, not my history, but our history as, a, as an organisation. And um, I don't know, it, it's all well and good to speak in hindsight, as we said earlier, but, um, you know, maybe we have more success if I stay as number, uh, if I change to number 17 earlier days, who knows? But maybe we don't have any success at all. I'm not sure we just follow suit and um, fall into line with what the expectation was uh, of the footy club at that time. But yeah, it's just, just, it felt like I was number nine at the Tigers, not number 17. And, you know, as as strange as the decision and, and um, you know, there was lots of differing opinions at the time. Um, now we've got, you know, a nephew of Morris wearing the jumper that his uh, uncle wore, same namesake. Um, and then now he's got Morris Jr. there as well. It's sort of like, well, it all sort of makes more sense than actually what it would have been, you know? Did you receive like was there? Did you receive support, particularly from like the playing group and and the coaching staff around you when you made that decision? Yeah, I think I think it was it was effectively um, there was an understanding. It was it hadn't stood for a long time, so there was probably some tension with regards to well, we've gone out on a limb, we've created this this piece of you know celebrating our history, but also how important they've been as part of our journey as a footy club, and you want to walk away from that already. It was. So there was a little bit of not friction, but just tension with regards to making that decision. But at the end of the day, when I when I said that I was that was what I was comfortable with, um, I had the support of the club. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. And Trent, um, I want to take it back, twenty seventeen um, preseason. And you know, for you, like I'm still in awe of you know how how early on you know you were given the boots to you know lead Tigerland as captain at you know that <laughs> pretty much the ripe age of 22 um I you know many people are, yeah many people are still in uni and you know you had your first kid at 24 and you know hopefully we do get a chance to speak about a bit about your fatherhood because I I find it really admirable the way you speak about fatherhood and having three kids you know before the age of 30 and balancing that with such a full-on career but you know in the work that Mank and I do where it's like I guess in every, anyone's work you're surrounded by so many different leaders um and you've got p- leaders that you know, lead by courage, you know, they want to sort of be the face and, um, you know, you know, rally up the troops and, and get them fired up. And then you've got other lead, leaders that are very cooperative and democratic. Um, and you, you know, you describe a moment at the start of the, um, I think, day one or, or early on in the preseason in 2017, where you sort of sat everyone down um, and you expressed your authenticity and vulnerability. And, and you know, we saw the, we saw what kind of followed suite uh, after that, after 2017, and obviously with the premiership and everything like that. But, you know, um, from the outside in, it really seemed like your brand was to galvanize the playing group through vulnerability and authenticity. And so I, the question the question I want to ask is, you know, how have you been able to, 
you know, find the happy medium uh, to be the leader that you've wanted to be versus the leader that you're expected to be. Because, you know, in your captaincy, you can see, obviously, you know, you've transformed so much as an as a individual person. I'm, and I'm keen to know how that kind of, that transformation, that evolution has kind of taken place and you've been balancing those expectations that are placed on you. Yeah, I think um, the analogy I like to make is, first and foremost, like 2016, as much of a train wreck it was, um, you know, sometimes you need to let the tide go out to see where all the rocks are. Um, and that that was effectively 2016 for us. It was, it was sort of like, well, here's the harsh reality of where is things at. Um, mm. And we'd probably become way too focused on just, you know, KPIs and the the lack of emotional connection within the footy club um you know, it was more a numbers game than actually you know building a team and and we had got to a point i think as a group of coaches even senior players where we had focused on what people couldn't do rather than what they could do hmm. so shifting that that um that thought process and and really starting to celebrate in what each individual brought to our footy club and, and the way we we drew it up was effectively you know you got this if we could create the most beautiful picture and then cut it up into a puzzle, every single piece complements something to create that picture, but it's different. So it's got different edges mm. It plugs in, but it, it meets somewhere. And that's, that's how we sort of celebrated each and each individual within our organization, the way that it comes together to create that beautiful picture. And um, I suppose when I was lucky enough to be introduced to Ben Crow, who is clearly going on and continuing to inspire the world in many different ways. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the journey would have looked like if I, I wasn't lucky enough to, to meet Crowley and, and learn, you know, take away a whole heap of the wisdom that he's taught me to date. And I continue to learn every single day, every time that I speak to him and um, the direction that he points me as well. But um, I think for me, it was, I was trying to be, again, back to the perfection thing, the, mm. the perfect captain. I wanted to be the best of the Luke Hodges, mm. the Nick Rewalds, the Matty Pavlitches, um, the Bob Murphys and the reality is that you can't be something that you're not and that's just mm -hmm. the reality of it and you don't have all the answers at that time and I think by sitting down and speaking with the group openly on effectively day one of pre-season 2017 um, I just laid it all out on the table like mm -hmm. this is who I am this is who I'm not <laughs> but I want you to come along with me on this journey you know I, I want to explore more I want to learn more about myself I want to learn more about you and um, the whole idea was just to give people permission to be one, their absolute true mm -hmm. self, and two, to lean into that growth and that discomfort. Um, you know, part of that was talking about that, you know, some games I do suffer stress leading into the game. And someone like Ben Lennon, I remember catching up for a coffee mm -hmm. straight after that, and he was like, mate, to hear my captain go through the same sort of thinking and pressures that I do as a first or second year player. Um, in the weirdest way relaxed me not actually created mm. more anxiety for me so mm. um yeah just just being really open and honest and I, I would never be the guy that was beating my chest up the front trying to drag people along um but what i continued to learn more that uh, if i could empower others to be a better version of themselves um that was going to go a long way to, to helping us mm. maybe not have success but also enjoy the journey way more than we currently were yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing, vulnerability. Like for the person that's speaking, like at least for me, when I've uh, been able to open up to close mates, you feel shit scared um, opening up. But I think what it invites is people to inquire 
and and people that end up having a lot more respect for you um, because they can relate to parts of your own story when you are sharing. Because all of us, the way I, the way I look at ourselves um, from an identity point of view is that we're all fragmented stories put together to make us who we are. And that's the exact reason why Bottled Up is around storytelling. It's because when people do share their stories, we hope that they can relate to different parts of someone's story and be like, whoever they are, you know, I can relate to the way they've been brought up or the, you know, what they're going through at this point in time. And was that something that you had planned to, to get in front of the boys and, and share that? Or, or did that also just come quite naturally? Like, was that quite a reflective point in your time? You know, you speak about Crory and, you know, you've got the likes of Hugh Van Kylenberg and, and a bunch of other awesome people that are in the mindfulness and um, meditative spaces. Like, was that quite an introspective and reflective point for you as well as a, as a human being, you know, outside of and yeah. off the field? I think I think what it was was an opportunity to address the group and lay everything that I had effectively learnt and gone through for the two or three months prior um, as part of the unpacking process with Crowley um, in raw. And like I remember the probably the week leading up to being back at the club and and doing it like I, we had put a plan in place and, and knew that it was going to be part of you know kickstarting the preseason, but. I was so shit scared. Um, so every night I would go to sleep with some sort of anxiety, stressing about how, you know, because clearly when you're going through it, how it sounds in your head and how you end up presenting it is never, ever the same. But the beauty of that is that no one actually knows what you're supposed to be saying anyway. So you need to let go of that as well. Um, but aside from the shit scared, I was super excited as well. So it was like this weird balance of, God, I, like it, it genuinely set me free. That was that was um, what was so, and Crowy kept saying it, and until I did it, I was just like, oh my God, like just letting all that out was like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. We talk about taking the mask off, um, but then also the flow-on effect and giving people permission to do exactly the same. You know, Dima introduces the Triple H sessions, which is around your, your hero, your highlight, and your hardship. Um, again, as you were saying, it's like you just, that vulnerability then opens up the door to having more curiosity and questions and that builds connection and then that helps with culture and, you know, particularly in a male, well, our male environment and clearly that's uh, both male and female these days, but um, it's not something that was the norm, you know. Um, it was seen as weak. Uh, it was saying that you couldn't cope, you lacked resilience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was quite transformative in the way that we thought about things and approach things from there on. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting point you make there because I think um, I think what's kind of unspoken, um, particularly when someone does share their own vulnerabilities, that it actually creates a sense of of trust um, amongst people within it within a team and. Yeah. Um, not just within, I guess, like when you when you when you shared with, within the Wishman Football Club, but also just in life in general. I was actually watching a uh, I was watching a documentary on how the Navy SEALs operate, which is obviously one of the most high performing um, teams in, in on our planet. And I was watching a documentary on how they select a, a particular candidate, and the way that they explained it was on the Y axis they've got someone who they can trust, and the on the X yeah. axis they've got like their performance level. And one of the things that they found was that for the Navy field, for the Navy SEALs, a selector would rather have someone who was of high trust and low performance yeah. than having someone of high performance and low trust. 
which is like super interesting. And I'm not just sure if you've um if you've seen um the show um at all, but it, uh, the, the SAS Australia, I think it airs on like Channel Ten or something. <laughs> um, but essentially, um, as part of the SAS qualification. Um, the candidates needed to yeah. share their most vulnerable moments of their life. And it, it's actually a great way to build trust. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a super yeah. progressive form of leadership. Um, did you did you find that when you shared and became vulnerable with your teammates that you had a, that you developed a closer connection with you and your teammates? Yeah, definitely. I think it, it broke down any barriers. You know, like one of the feedback that I always received uh, as a leader of the footy club was, you know, we don't think you go out enough with the boys or drink enough. And it's just like, how old school is this in the thinking? But it was it was ingrained in what was so important to successful clubs in AFL particularly, and I'm sure plenty of sports across the world. But um, um, and that was part of my speech. I was like, I'm I'm not a party goer. Um, I don't typically love to drink. Yeah, I'll have the quiet one here and there. But you know, I'd prefer to go out for a coffee and have lunch with someone as compared to going out on on the grog and, and that was just part of people understanding who I am more and what I value as compared to um, what they thought that I should be doing, you know? Did you find that there were other times where the certain values that you held very close to you, I mean, you mentioned there around um, your value of connection um, and, and celebration without the use of help, without needing the use of alcohol. Um, did you find that um, that there were certain values that, you held close to yourself, but that didn't really align with the club or just with the AFL in general. And I guess, how did you um, stay true to your own values when during those times where people could see that misalignment? Yeah, I think it's it's a really good question because, you know, we've probably touched on trust and we've probably touched on empowerment and alignment is almost the the other phase of having a really sound culture. And um, I, I think it's, it's more the interpretation of what that looks like and means and having... Uh, either an awareness or empathy towards the fact that each and every individual is different. So you talk about a team value being celebrate. Well, celebrate for one person might be getting on the beers after a win with their mates. Whereas for someone like Dylan Grimes, it might be celebrating from the other end of the ground when Shay Bolton does an amazing tackle, you know? And that's where it's left to the interpretation and, and what you effectively the standards or the the values that you live by become who you are and what you do. And I think that was more just where we'd got to, you know, celebrating and rewarding the things that we did value. And then mm. um, not even necessarily smashing people who were stepping outside of them, but just guiding them back to the actual pathway that we wanted to take. Mm. And it kind of goes back to this idea of inclusive leadership. And I think the Richmond football club and, you know, and Sonny and I have, have read up on, a lot of the initiatives that the um that that the football club have been have gotten involved in in the past, and particularly around on the cultural diversity front. I mean, you guys have um been involved in the Melbourne trend, in Melbourne Indigenous Transition Program, as well as being part of the Dreamtime with the G, which I which I feel like as an Essendon supporter, you guys have been winning for the past one hundred fifty thousand years. Um, it's one or lost in the the pre game entertainment. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and yeah. that's kind of when I turn it off anyway. So, <laughs> it's like, um. And uh, and so as the game evolves, Trent, um, there's a massive goal of increased participation and there's a massive goal of increasing participation rates within the sport. And one of the ways you can do that is creating a safe environment for people that want to join the sport. Um, I think uh, we've spoken to Lin Jong, um, who's obviously of East, East Timorese descent, um, and one of his big things um, that he said was, uh, you know, 
AFL is traditionally seen as a very Caucasian kind of sport, and for him breaking through was a, was a, was a massive thing. Um, for you and your and your and your leadership, how did you sort of take into account and be accepting of different cultures, different backgrounds, um, and making them kind of feel comfortable within a within a, a different kind of kind of playing setting um, as you were during your time as captain? It's a really good question. Uh, you know. I think, you know, where I've been so incredibly lucky in my leadership journey is having such amazing people around me that Mm. have different strengths to what I possess. And, you know, I think a great example is Dave Asprey, who um, was so heavily invested in, um, you know, even just the Black Lives Matter thing over in the States. Um, You know, he, he was one of the biggest drivers outside of our Indigenous boys with regards to how we could make a stand as a footy club regards to indigenous cultures um but but never like from a negative attitude point of view it was always about how can we celebrate this more and and bring it to life and i think you know the passion that he possessed and it wasn't just him you know the Kane lamberts uh of the world um that ignited this this passion and desire within all of us you know we we want to understand more and you, you know you talk about storytelling and bottled up um, you know, main objective is to have people tell story that allows them to then either take away lessons or feel empowered to share their own stories with either friends, family, or their networks. Um, Indigenous culture is the best culture in the world at storytelling. It's built around, you know, campfire, the elders passing on the stories of generations, um, you know, even, even way back to spirits and, and so forth. So um, our club... I would like to think is one of the forefront leaders in celebrating culture, whether it be indigenous uh, or, or a different uh, culture. And, you know, Basha Hooli is another great example of someone who was incredibly supported and an amazing person. And the way that he's led in his community um, and respected is second to none. And um, I feel very fortunate to have at least just been part of their journey. I share a really strong relationship with Basha and seeing the work that he does within his foundation, but also just within his community and, the time that he gives up, um, the generosity that he provides, uh, and and the, the inspiration that he creates because of the person that he is and the way that he's lived his life, um, you know, he's only going to hold our country um, and, in particular, our sports uh, in really good mm. stead moving forward. Absolutely, Batcher Batcher's doing awesome stuff with his foundation, and I, Mank, and I, both of us have a lot of Muslim mates. Um, yeah. and a lot of them that I've got behind footy, like Eastern Football League and a bunch of things like that. And I know Huli is also working with a lot of um, young Muslim girls, getting them into the yeah. sport, uh, especially those that wear those traditional clothing, the hijab and, and things like that. And keen to know like how your relationship has been with Bacha, not only from like, a, you know, how has your relationship been, but sort of what you've learned, um, you know, as you've opened up and been more inclusive with a lot of the people that have been coming through the doors. Yeah, I think as I get older, like that's, they're the things that I have probably taken for granted. Um, you know, if I, if I didn't play footy, I would never have met Basher and I would never mm. have had a such a, and don't get me wrong, I've still got a lot to learn about Muslim mm. culture. And, um, but even just, you know, we went camping one time and this is in his book, but um, I took my girls, so uh, Harper and Mackenzie, and he took his eldest girl, Sarah and um, we'd gone for a walk. Basher had stayed at the campsite. He was just prepping the barbecue and so forth, so that we could have 
some dinner, um, all her love, of course. And um, <laughs> we were coming back and Harper had run up ahead. <laughs> and it's the innocence, he, the innocence that is like so beautiful, but they're the moments and the memories that you create. And, and she turned around and come sprinting back. She's like, oh my God, dad, oh my God, Basher has like fallen to his knees and he's headbutting the ground. And I'm like, what? Then I realized that it was time of prayer and he was praying and, but then that gave us the opportunity to then educate my girls on, you know, what it is to be Muslim and how many times they pray a day. And the fact that, you know, the way that the, um, the meat has been slaughtered is, is very particular and has to be done a certain way because of their beliefs. And, um, it was amazing. And, and even more recently, Basha was at the club working with the girls, program and um i brought sarah home with us and she it was just prior to ramadan and um, she just went on a range like seriously for 15 minutes just talking about muslim culture and why they do this and why they do that and why they don't eat pig and like i learned some stuff from uh what's she she'd be eight years old my daughter's sitting there just soaking it all up asking questions and no i think that's the beauty of sport it brings people of all different kinds of shapes backgrounds um and gives them a platform to talk about these things and i think that's what you know i'm really proud of as being part of the richmond footy club and i don't know what goes on behind closed doors at other footy clubs or other sporting organizations but i would like to think that it's a place where people feel really safe to talk openly and honestly mm. about anything and everything mm, absolutely i know um Batcher Hooley himself loves his fishing. So hopefully there was a, <laughs> there was a, there was a BCF mate, BCF. <laughs> he does love his fishing. Uh, yeah. It's every chance he gets. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, the, the, the comment I have on that is yeah. Muslim culture is so fascinating. Um, and yeah, Mang and I have a lot of mates that come from that background and it's just amazing to see how much you can learn, not only from Muslim culture, but all these other cultures that exist and like, that representation in football as the years progress is it can only be a good thing um because yeah. i think it, it it encourages and motivates other people of like the same background to come up and like for me i played football for 10 years growing up um and you know being able to attribute that to an idol that was playing on the field um plays such a huge role um just in my motivation the way i go and carry on so yeah absolutely yeah and i think for me like i don't necessarily attach or follow a particular faith but for me what faith is is living life to a set certain set of values now you can establish mm -hmm. them yourselves or you can follow the path of people who follow uh, have created it for you prior or you can do a complement of both and mm -hmm. um you know the more we can get people living to true to their values and have a purpose um the world's mm -hmm. going to be a better place mm -hmm. yeah that, that was really insightful trend thank you so much for for sharing that um I guess one of the one of the things about about being in a big football club is is around this idea of, of noise and and whether it's whether it's good noise or whether it's bad noise it, it can have a different effect on on different people. I was actually watching the footy show recently and one of the things that Kane Corns always says and he, he always criticizes us in place for this but um you know as an Essendon supporter I always see what what, what comments he's writing but um, I always see his comments around Essendon players like smiling after a game when they've lost and in a sense, um, a lot of footballers, not just um, not just by Kane Corns, but by other footballers as well, like ex-football players, 
they're often criticized for not care, for not caring about their own performance if they're kind of seen smiling after a tough loss and it kind of goes against like the old school value of you know being showing absolutely no emotion and being absolutely distraught after a, after after a game um we'd love to know um how do you know as a leader if someone is fully invested and cares about their success of 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 a game or or a meeting even if they have had a even if they do have a bit of a joke or have fun around um like after a, a serious game or a serious team meeting? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Firstly, can I just suggest that you don't watch the footy show nor listen to Kane Corns because <laughs> as an Essendon supporter, I reckon oh, that'd be pretty painful. Oh, so painful. So painful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, I also understand that he has a, a role to play within the football community. Of course. And he, he does uh, upset the uh, the apple cart, as the Rancy would have yep. said a long time ago, yeah. um, quite often. But... Um, yeah, I think for me, it's like, um, it depends how you define success first and foremost. Like for us on a week to week basis, there's clearly a game that defines for our, particularly for our supporters, our members and in the AFL world, whether you've won or lost and that's success. But, you know, depending on the journey that you're on uh, as a club, as an organisation, you know, for Mel- North Melbourne at the moment, Success might not be mm. winning. Success might be executing the system and processes that they either worked on over the preseason or that week. There was some changes they needed to make, and um, you know, not always focusing on the outcome. And mm. yeah, there's times where you need to see that emotionally there's pain in not quite getting the result because you've worked so hard to get there. But you also need to celebrate those little wins along the way. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, like footy footy is a game and a game is created for play to compete uh, and most importantly have fun and I think if you keep coming back to those three key things a lot of the time you'll execute well as well because when you're having fun you're competing and and you're playing um, you're typically going to do pretty good things but um, yeah it's an interesting one. And I think that's, that's where you need to have the awareness. Um, and we always call it ease to the ground sort of stuff. Like if someone's genuinely taking the piss, clearly they need a whack. Mm. <laughs> um, whereas if someone's just trying to, you know, just get on with life effectively, knowing that, you know, often out of this uh, loss, we're going to have a growth area that's going to really hold us in good stead moving forward. Then, why be down in the dumps for a day or two and really there was just no light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas coming into the club, even through last year and this year, because of how we, or our perspective on football and what we're going to learn out of it, it was easier to maintain sort of a consistent level of energy and attitude and and so forth. And clearly that'll be challenged at different times and having three or four losses in a row is going to hurt more than just having one off game. But um yeah, I suppose for me, it's like moving away from the outcome and your actions being reflective of that outcome and more so the process. And are we actually executing on the things that we set out to do? Um, is that team just a little bit better than us at this stage versus we stuffed a lot of the things we planned to do up? Yeah. Um, for you, for you, Trent, like obviously, you know, being in the public eye, um, You've always got so many people that are wanting to chime in on absolutely everything. And, you know, going back to that point earlier around being a captain um, so early on at, at 22 and having your first kid at 24, like I can only imagine there was so much happening, you know, off the field in your personal life. And 
you know, as much as, you know, you're paying homage and dedication to your professional sport, you know, Brooke and the family, they also take a, a pretty big priority in your life. And um, the question I have, and it probably centers, I hope this is not a long shot, but around like not always having all the answers um, comes back to this theme of lack of control. And lack of control also plays a role in the way people have their opinions and, and always want to chime in on different things. But these things sometimes do, like they do just have a weight um, you know, whether you're always hearing people chirping on like the side of the street or on social media or on the news. Um, I'm keen to know, like, obviously that, you know, there's always controversy that always happens. That's the wonderful world that we live in. Um, how you kind of go about blocking out that noise, um, and also centering in, you know, on what Mayang said earlier about going back to those foundational habits, those foundational routines, um, because sometimes there are just shit moments that exist. Um, and yeah, yeah. Keen to know, like, how do you kind of balance those? Yeah, I think for me, um, one of the greatest pieces of advice I got, I think it was from Brooke's dad, was um, opinions are like armpits. Some stink, some don't. <laughs> and, you know, you every time on the I've podcast. read... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be yeah. listen to you guys. Um, every time that there's been one that I don't necessarily agree with. I sort of, that sort of just springs into mind and I have a little chuckle to myself. And I think for me, like the hardest thing with having a wife, kids, um, you know, and kids being at school now is that those opinions go out there in the stratosphere and it's, I'm okay with them. I can deal with them. I can stay true to my values and live my life the way that I know I can. And that makes me be the best person that I can be. But a five or six year old kid saying it to my daughter at school is where it starts to really impact my life. Um, mm. And they have no awareness of that. And that was probably something that we had to come to terms with, particularly when our first child went to school for the first time, because it was like her whole world opened up to, mm. you know, golly, oh, footy isn't just a job for dad. And it's not just where he goes each day to earn a dollar and um, do what he typically can do. Okay. Mm. Um, it became like people are obsessed with footy and, um, <laughs> you know, they wanted to talk to her because she's Trent Cotchen's daughter. And so that was, that mm. was a real um, learning curve for us. And, you know, you talk about the balance. It was, um, it was really, really hard to get up the hang of. Now it depends on the personality of the kid as well. And you know, there've been times where um, Brooks felt that I'm unreasonably being attacked in, whether it's the media or social media or whatever it is and gone into that for me. And, and that's created other things. So yeah. I think, um, you know, what I try to educate my family on is that the majority of time, negative opinion or left field feedback comes in is because there's either um, it's more their issue than yours for starters too. Um, mm. If we saw the majority of people that are behind a screen or uh, Instagram feedback, I'm sure that we would probably brush it off and go, well, probably no value in that anyway. Mm. And then three, it's like, well, advertising and media is built on 80% being negative, not 20, not 80% being positive. And that's just the reality of the world. And people have, drawn to clickbait and crap and that's what sells papers and and make people watch the news so um i think once you have a better understanding and educating yourself on that sort of stuff helps you deal with it but as i said at the very beginning when we're at our worst is when we're probably most inclined to listen to it here and that's why it's so important in putting a really strong and sound support network like you know you talk about mm. business 
having a board of directors in place, the reality is that you should merely see life as your own business because that's what it is. Mm. But having a board of directors around you that can help guide you in certain facets of your life. And mm. um, that takes Absolutely. time to build and it takes time to know who and what Absolutely. can do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I absolutely rate that. The personal, there's also Same. the personal board of directors. That is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing. Um, yeah. Anyways, Meg, I know you've got a question. No, no, no. I was actually going to say the same thing, Sonny, actually. Like, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I think it's a very, very good analogy. It's actually the first time I've actually heard that. I'm not sure about you, Sonny, but it's definitely the first time I've heard that. Um, and I'll probably will try and use it in future one, in future conversations. Um, one of the things that um, Tom, um, Tom Boyd and, and Lynn Jong have said in their conversations with us is, um, one of the ways that they've tried to filter out noise, particularly you know that white noise and good opinions, bad opinions, is realizing that, and of course you know community is important, but also realizing that we do live in an individualistic society. In that you know journos they have a job to do. Um, they obviously have certain like KPIs on how many clicks they get and and their attention and whatnot, and they need to do. And obviously, they need to do what they can to kind of put food on the table. Um, and one of the things that, you know, Tom and Lind would do was to separate a person's job to, to who they actually are, much like they, much like how they wanted other people to view them. I mean, for Lind's case, he wanted people yeah. to separate Lin Jong, the footballer versus Lin Jong, the person, um, same way. And that's one of the ways that he dealt with, you know, dealing with journalists, realizing that they've got a job to do, they've got KPIs to meet and, you know, you know, more power to them. Um, and it's kind of harsh in the way that they, that it's kind of harsh, but you know, it's, 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 I find that really interesting in the way that they kind of dealt with that. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's definitely like, it's a, it's a really valid point and something that, mm. you know, the AFL can probably get better. And I assume a lot of other sports, um, you know, separating the person to the persona, like just because you play and, and that's part of the education process for our kids. It's like, but you're famous dad. I'm like, well, I'm not famous. What I do for a living people see as being uh, an identity in the community, but who I am isn't actually that, like I'm your dad first and foremost. Um, and that's what I value most, you know? So helping educate people on that is, is really important. Mm. You know, even though it might sound a bit selfish here, Trent, but you know, what would you want your legacy deep legacy to be for your children? I mean, you mentioned them there and, and as a father, as, as someone who's been through it all, um, what's the legacy that you want to leave your children when, when they grow up and, and I guess tackle the, 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 the world of, of issues that are currently affecting them today? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's probably something that Brooke and I talk about often, um, particularly at the opportunities where they aren't around. Um, you know, all you want to do is help create a world where your kids can thrive and um and live in uh in a happy way um for me it's it's really simple it's about knowing who you are and doing the things that make you happy and if you can empower them with the skills across life um but but it goes probably deeper to you know what i want my leadership legacy to be at the richmond footy club like now having co-captains that are definitely different leaders to who i am um I hope that there's been some things that, you know, the way I've led uh, empowers them to either do something similar or take away the lessons and, and put their own spin on things um, because it's forever evolving. And if, if we're not willing to adapt, um, you know, you become extinct like mammals, animals and, and people of the past. Um, you know, the greatest thing about 
the world is that it's forever changing. Uh, we're evolving and, and if you're not willing to adapt and change with it, um, you'll be left behind. So having that growth mindset, uh, I think Crowey might've said it to me once upon a time. He said, if you're not growing, uh, you're either dying or dead. <laughs> yeah, that's very well said. Um, mate, these are absolute pearls of wisdom that have come out <laughs> almost the last hour. And Trent, I know um, we've severely, semi-severely gone over time. So <laughs> massive, massive thank you. We've still got we've still got a couple of things uh, that we want to do. I'll obviously, give you the space to talk about Posse Socks. Um, you know, you guys are doing some awesome stuff. Uh, first of all, Mank and I are pretty keen on our on our pair and so we're going to be putting an order in quite soon um but then the second thing is like yes yeah, so what what does posi socks um obviously mean to you and um how did it come about i know you touched on earlier around journaling and that being a big thing and i totally agree with you like being able to articulate yourself as you write as opposed to typing on a keyboard like it there's just something there um yeah. when you let out that emotion um yeah what does it mean to you and and, and where do you hope to take it yeah i think for me um you know, a lot of the lessons that I learned through 2016 and what worked for me wouldn't necessarily work for everyone, but simplifying that and then finding a way to then empower people where it doesn't require, you know, setting an alarm and remembering to journal or whatever it is. It just becomes part and parcel of, you know, creating those habits. You know, one of the first things that you do most mornings after having a shower is put on a pair of socks. So why not implement something that I value and think that's a really important way to start the day? Uh, on your feet um, and then you know as we've grown and learned more about the way that that is impacting people um, connecting that with other parts of purpose and social good and so now um, every pair purchased we donate a pair to, to homeless uh, people around Australia um, because it's the number one requested item in homeless shelters homelessness shelters and you know for me um, if Posi Socks impacts or has impacted one person's life, then to, to me, that's a success. But if we can have it impact the world in a greater way, and that's why we've extended it to launching Posi Schools, which again is around habit and creating those habits through education, but instilling those habits so that kids today have life lessons that they can carry forward and become big parts of the way that they work through um, challenges, building more resilience and uh, living happier lives effectively. So, um, you know, p plenty of ideas and concepts and, and ways and means of going about it. Um, just started wholesaling as well. So that's been really exciting and, and, and a couple of really good partners that are, that are helping us spread positivity uh, through our Posi Socks um, and then collaborations as well. So um, a few gym companies and so forth have, have joined forces to create their own sock, but then also contribute to, to social good as well. So um, yeah, really, really exciting. And, and as I said, it's, it's been an opportunity for me to continue to learn, but also implement, you know, the changes I've made in my life uh, and hopefully empower people to do the same. Yeah, like absolutely. you guys with Bottled Up. <laughs> you, you're, you're doing Posse Socks with Brooke uh, as well. Uh, how, yeah. how, has that, how has that been? Kind of, um, obviously you guys are you know, lifelong committed um, husband and wife, but then also working on this uh, venture on the side and, and building out Posse Socks. Like, have you guys been able to learn a lot more about each other, kind of entering this world of Posse Socks? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's like being in a footy club, you know, you have different strengths and weaknesses mm. that don't always necessarily complement each other. And you have um, moments where there's disagreement and so forth. But what it does is allow you to have those better conversations that allow you to grow together. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, 
a lot of a lot of the time it's me forgetting to do something and <laughs> I, I, I get whacked on the back of the head but um it, it's nice to have something that you know dives deeper to a sense of purpose rather than just selling yeah. pairs of socks you know yeah. um it was never about the commercial part of the business. Yeah, we want, yeah. want to establish something that's commercially viable so that we can continue to grow and impact more lives. But right now, the focus is on getting Posi socks in as many people's hands as possible and yeah. spreading positivity that way. Mm. You need you need gloves as your new. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's actually not a bad idea for winter. All right, done. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Like <laughs> yeah. Talk to the hand. Yeah. Like the, um, no, I love that. No, 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 I think it's a really 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 subtle and, and a really original way um of i guess inculcating those positive affirmations into your into your own life and i think it's uh it's a really really smart way of doing it i was speaking to sunny before about this and it was just um i, I cannot wait to get my own pair by the way i'm, I'm definitely right. gonna um definitely gonna, gonna purchase a few and um yeah firstly thank you so much uh trent for for donating your time um to us today you know one of the like sunny mentioned before one of the big visions and one of the big missions of us of, of our of, of how we sort of see change and putting change into the world is if someone donates their time to us. Um, we can then take that donation of time and, and put it out there in the world and hopefully someone can resonate with it. And you've now come part, become part of our family. You're part of the bottled up family now. So we're not, we're not the biggest, baddest thing in the world, but um, it, it, <laughs> it is, it will be. yeah, it is really, really, we're really appreciative of you, um, of you taking the time out of your day. To, to chat with us now what we normally do at the, to, 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 to round things off we do have a bit of a fun rapid fire questions <laughs> just 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 in case people haven't haven't known you for the past 45 minutes um we, we'd love to give, give people a bit, a bit more insight these are pretty fun so sunny would you like me to start off or would you like to start off yeah kick it off the first one's a ripper all right cool <laughs> so the first one here here uh trent and sort of leading on from from the previous questions posi socks or or ralph lauren socks <laughs> posi socks <laughs> Yeah. Uh, favorite affirmation or one that sticks with you? Uh, I think often from your darkest times come your greatest lessons. I think that's so relevant to so many different parts of your life. Love it. You're, you're, you're good friends with Ash Barty, but I'm going to ask you something about uh, the goats of men's tennis. I'm going to ask you about that. Who do you think is the goat of men's tennis at the moment? Hands down, Roger Federer. I think... <laughs> um, yeah, we are no, on... Raf is likable. Joke, Joker's not. Um, <laughs> yes. And both, of, all, all of them are supremely talented. But I think, you know, you talk about storytelling, I think um, Roger Federer's way to connect with fans and spread a bigger message mm. outside of just being a freak. Mm. Um, yeah. And his journey as well. He started off as a rat bag. So yeah. <laughs> it's cool to become one of the most humble and uh, talented tennis players ever. Yeah. yeah, he um he actually listens to the podcast as well, so he's going to listen to this. So. <laughs> Shout out to Rog. Um, look to catching up for a coffee next time you're in Melbourne, mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, not grog, just coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, fourth one, uh, favorite athlete outside of football and outside of uh, tennis, I guess. Oh, okay. Throwing it, throwing that one. I was going to say Roger. So, <laughs> um, I'm not a big American sport person. Um, yeah. I suppose it's hard to go past, you know, the the Tom Brady story. It's pretty impressive yeah. to continue to get the absolute best out of yourself for a long period yeah. of time. And I think the way that he speaks and tells story as well, and the way that he connects um, his sporting life to then living a really good life, um, you know, I, I think he seems as though he's he's an incredible person. Yeah, he's uh, also listening as well. So, age <laughs> hey, hey, is like a fine wine. Yeah, definitely. Um, number five, uh, most memorable premiership. 
it must be like choosing between your favorite like who your favorite child is but it is very hard 2017 <laughs> just from a grandiose moment in time because it's been so long uh, and the way it impacted so many richmond supporters lives uh, and that i probably thought that i would never ever get to taste it um but 2020 just from a, a way the footy club was challenged having the family in the hub living a completely different life to what we were used to and then having them all on the field at the end um was really special and unique love it uh and and last one just to round things off uh last time you cried last time i cried well we watched a movie last night (laughs) frozen um, a little bit emotional (laughs) frozen (laughs) Frozen, frozen, but um yeah i think you know gone are the days where it's not okay to cry as a male Mm. like i reckon i only ever saw my dad cry twice um yeah my whole life really and yeah there's been plenty of times i've shared tears whether it be with brooke or Mm dimmer even um as two mm. alpha males uh, in a football organization so um yeah. i strongly encourage it good mm. for the soul love it. good for the soul love it mate i absolutely love this conversation um yeah. thank you again um anything else you'd want to end end with um posi socks will chuck in the show notes uh, on insta <laughs> linkedin i've seen it uh, pop up a couple of times on linkedin uh, yeah appreciate that <laughs> no for me um I just wanted to show my appreciation for what you guys are doing. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but um, it feels as though that you guys are really connected to making a difference in the world and, and empowering people to, you know, dig a little deeper. Um, mm. You know, a lot of the time that journey as an idea, it's really easy, but to actually take the steps and, and start to you know, be curious about who you are and, why you exist um, can be a scary step. And even just having the conversations with what you're struggling with. Um, another quote we love to, to go by is a problem shared is a problem halved. So um, yeah. sharing is caring. Yeah. That. So good. Mate, love you and your work. And likewise with Posi Socks as well and everything that you're doing. You're an incredible idol. Um, so many more questions we could have asked. So stay tuned for part two. Um, <laughs> um, but no, thank you, man. And um yeah, this is Sunny signing off. Thank you, Max, signing off. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All the best. And that's a wrap for this episode. If you are enjoying our conversations, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All the conversations are recorded in video, so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at BottledUpOz. Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family and see you next time.